12. S is why those who have lived long in the tropics and suffered from malaria, dysentery, and other infectious diseases, and those who drink too much alcohol, or have chronic indigestion, or dyspepsia, are likely to have swollen and inflamed livers, the gallbladder, the liver has on its underside a little pear-shaped pouch called the gallbladder, in which the bile is stored before it is poured into the bowel, if this becomes inflamed by disease germs, or their poisons, in the blood, little hard masses will form inside it, usually about the size of a grain of corn, known as gallstones, so long as they stay in the gallbladder, they give little trouble, but if they start to pass out through the narrow bile duct into the intestine, they cause severe attacks of pain, known as gallstone colic, and, by blocking up the duct, may dam up the flow of the bile, force it back into the blood again, and stain all our tissues, including our skin and our eyes, yellow, and then we say we are jaundiced. Jaundice may also be caused by colds or other mild infections which attack the liver and bile ducts and clog the proper flow of the bile. The kidneys. The kidneys are another form of blood filter, which deal chiefly with waste stuffs in the blood left from the proteins, or meats, of our food meat, fish, milk, cheese, bread, peas, beans, etc. These waste stuffs, called urea and urates, are formed in the liver and brought in the blood to the kidneys. These lie on either side of the backbone, opposite the small of the back, their lower ends being level with the highest point of the hip bones, nearly six inches higher than they are usually supposed to be. When you think you have a pain across the kidneys, it is usually a pain in the muscles of the back much lower down, and has nothing to do with the kidneys at all. A very large artery carries the blood from the aorta to each side of the kidney, and a large vein carries the purified blood back to the vena cava and heart. Two smaller tubes about the size of a croquil, the waste pipes of the kidneys the ureters, carry the water containing urea and other waste substances strained out by the kidneys and called urine, down into a large pouch, the bladder, to be stored there until it can be got rid of. The kidneys then are big filter glands, they, like the lungs, are made up of a mesh, or network, of thousands of tiny tubes of two kinds, one set of tubes being blood vessels and the other set the tiny branches of the kidney tubes which finally run together to form the ureters. The urine filters through from the spongy mesh of blood tubes capillaries into the kidney tubes and is poured out through the ureters. It is very important that the urine should be discharged as fast as it fills the bladder, that island about once every three hours during the day. Nothing should be allowed to interfere with this, and whenever nature tells you that the bladder is full, it should be emptied promptly or the poisons which nature is trying to get rid of in the urine may get back into the blood and cause serious trouble. Diseases of the kidneys. Naturally, the kidneys, working all the time and pouring out, as they do every day, from three to four pints of the liquid waste called urine, are subject to numerous diseases and disturbances. One of the common causes of these is failure to keep the skin thoroughly clean and healthy, as perspiration is of somewhat the same character as the urine, and if it be checked, it throws an extra amount of work upon the kidneys. Another most important thing to keep the kidneys working well is to drink plenty of water, at least six or eight glasses a day, as well as to eat plenty of fresh green vegetables and fresh fruits, which, as we have seen, are 80% water. Remember, we are a walking aquarium, and all our cells must be kept flooded with and soaked in water in order to be healthy. If the blood becomes overloaded with poisons, 
so much work may be thrown upon the kidneys that they will become inflamed and diseased and cannot form the urine properly, and then poisons accumulate in the system and finally produce serious illness and even death. It was at one time believed that eating too much of certain kinds of foods, particularly those that leave much nitrogenous waste in the body, such as meat and fish, could produce a diseased condition of the kidneys, known as Bright's disease, but we have found that the larger part of such cases are due to the attack of the germs of infectious diseases, particularly scarlet and typhoid fevers, tuberculosis, and colds. The popular impression that colds from wet feet or long drives in winter may settle in the kidneys is wrong, except in so far as those colds are caused by infectious germs. Another cause of disturbance and permanent damage to the kidneys is the habitual use of alcohol, even though this may be taken in only moderate amounts. The constant soaking of the tissues with even small amounts of alcohol may be most harmful to the kidneys, as well as to the liver. Chapter XBII The Muscles Importance of the Muscles It wouldn't be of much use to smell food, if we couldn't pick it up and bite it after we had reached it, or to see danger, if we were not able to move away from it. Every animal that lives, moves, and every movement, whether of the entire body from one place to another, or of parts of the body changing their relations to one another, or altering their shape, is carried out by an elastic, self-moving body stuff, which we call muscle. All the work that we do, whether in earning our living, or catching our food, or chewing it, or swallowing it and driving it through our food tube, or pumping the blood through our arteries, or drawing air into our lungs, is done by muscles. Hence, a very large part of the body has to be made of muscles. In fact, our muscles, put together, weigh almost as much as all the other stuffs in the body, making over 40% of our weight. How the muscles act. The commonest form of muscle that we see is the red, lean meat of beef, mutton, or pork, and this will give us a good idea of how our own muscles look. All muscles, whatever their size or shape, are made up of little spindle-shaped or strap-shaped cells, or wriggling body cells arranged in bands or strings. The size of a given muscle depends upon the number of cells that it contains. The astonishing variety of movements which muscles can make is due to the fact that they have the power when stirred up, or stimulated, of changing their shape. As most of the muscle substance is arranged in bands, this change of shape on the part of the tiny cells that make up the band means that the band grows thicker and at the same time shorter, just as a stretched rubber band does when it slackens, so that it pulls nearer together the bones or other structures to which it is fastened at each end by fibrous cords called tendons, or sinews. This shortening of the muscle band is known as contraction, when you wish, for instance, to lift your hand toward your face. You unconsciously send a message from your brain down the nerve cables in your spinal cord, out through the nerve wires of your neck and shoulder, to the big biceps muscle on the front of your upper arm. This muscle then contracts, or shortens, and pulls up the forearm and hand, by bending the elbow joint. Just in proportion as the muscle becomes shorter, it becomes thicker in the middle, and this you can readily prove by grasping it lightly with your fingers when it contracts, and feeling it bulge. The food tube is surrounded with muscles, as you will remember, for moving the food along it, or churning it. These internal muscles, requiring only the presence of food to cause them to act, and not needing attention on the part of the brain or the will, are known as the involuntary, without the will, muscles. The great group of the voluntary, or bone-moving muscles, which move with the will and are under our direct control, may be divided roughly into two divisions those that move the trunk, or body proper and run, for the most part, 
lengthwise of it, and those that move the limbs, on the body, they may be divided into two great sheets one running up the front, and the other up the back, when those running up the front of the body contract, they naturally bend the back, and pull the head and shoulders forward and downward, or, as when you spring up and catch the branch of a tree or a horizontal bar with your hands, these same muscles will pull the lower part of the body and legs upward, so that you can climb into the tree. The largest and thickest bands of these front body muscles are found over the abdomen, or stomach, where you can feel them thicken and harden when you bend your body forward and pull with your arms, as in hauling on a rope. By their pressure upon the intestines, they give the bowels valuable support, assist in their movements, and help the circulation of the blood through them, so that it is of considerable importance to keep this entire group of muscles well toned up by exercises, such as swinging your arms back over your head, and then down between your legs, bending the head and shoulders backward and forward, swinging the legs up over the body, either when hanging from a bar or lying on your back. Proper exercising and toning up of these muscles will often cure constipation and dyspepsia, by their influence upon the bowels and stomach, and also keep one from taking on fat around the waist too rapidly. On the back of the body, the muscle sheet has grown into great, thick ropes of muscle on each side of the backbone, which you can feel hardening and softening in the small of the back, when you scoop down or lift weights. These are the muscles that hold the body erect, and keep the back straight when you stand and are the largest and hardest working group of muscles in the body, every minute that you sit, or stand, they are at work, and that is why they so often get tired out, and ache, and you say you have, a backache, they have to work harder to keep you erect or upright when you are standing perfectly still than when you walk or run, so that standing perfectly still is the hardest work you can do, next to standing still, the hardest thing is to sit still, as you probably have found out, If it were not for these great muscles of the back and abdomen, we should double up like a jackknife, either forward or backward. When we try to stand up, it is not our skeleton that keeps us stiff or erect, but our muscles. If you want to keep straight and erect, and thus have a good carriage, you must keep these great body muscles well trained and exercised by swinging movements, such as bending the back forward, standing with your feet apart and then swinging your head and shoulders down and between your legs, or with your heels together, swinging your hands down till the fingers touch the ground, or by the different exercises that either bend your back, or hold it stiff and erect, swinging from a bar, rowing, digging with a spade, chopping or sawing wood, dancing, rope skipping, ball playing, hopscotch, and wrestling, all develop these muscles finely and are good for both boys and girls, other strands of these muscles branch out to fasten themselves to the shoulder blades and shoulders, where they help to draw the arm back as for a blow, pull the shoulders into position when you stand upright, or, when you have leaned forward and grasped something with the hand, help to pull up the arm and lift it from the ground, these muscles are quite important in holding the shoulders back and giving a good shape to the chest and good carriage of the upper part of the body and head, they are called into play in all exercises like striking, batting, tennis playing, ball throwing, swinging, shoveling, swimming, as well as in pulling, in lifting weights, in swinging an axe or handling a broom. Illustration, use of muscles in bowling showing thickening of flexors on front of arm, as forearm is swung forward, and thickening of extensors on back of arm, as forearm is swung backward. The muscles of the limbs are almost as numerous as those of the trunk of the body, and even more complex, most of them, on both arms and legs, 
are into great groups one known as the benders, or flexors, which, when they shorten, bend the limb, and the other, the straighteners, or extensors, which straighten or extend it, on the front of the arm, for instance, we had the large biceps, two-headed, muscle, which runs from the shoulder to the bone of the forearm just below the elbow and, when it shortens, bends the elbow and lifts the arm toward the body, on the back of the upper arm is the triceps, three-headed, muscle, which is fastened at its lower end to a big spur of bone, the point of the elbow, when it shortens, acting lever fashion, it straightens or extends the arm, if this is done quickly, the fist is swung outward with force enough to strike quite a sharp blow, though, as you know, if you wish to hit really hard, you have to strike with the weight and muscles of the forearm and the body behind it, or, as we say, from the shoulder, illustration, use of muscles in football showing thickening of flexors on front of thigh and leg, as foot is swung forward, and thickening of extensors on back of thigh and leg, as leg is swung backward, in the lower limbs, the muscles are larger because they have heavier work to do, supporting and moving the whole weight of the body, but they are simpler in their arrangement since they have not such a variety of movements to carry out, the principal muscle in the thigh is the great muscle running down the front of the thigh, and fastening to the upper border of the patella, or kneecap, this muscle, when it shortens, straightens or extends the limb, or lifts the foot from the ground and swings it forward as in walking, or raises the knee up toward the body when we are sitting or lying down, you can easily tell how much it is used in walking by remembering how stiff and sore it gets when you have taken an unusually long tramp, particularly if there has been much hill climbing in it, on the back of the thigh, runs another great group of muscles, which bend or flex the limb when they shorten, when the knee is bent, you can feel their tendons, or sinews, stand out as hard cords beneath the knee, hence, this group is called the hamstring muscles, how the muscles are fed, our muscles are not only the largest, but the livest part of our bodies, their contractions and movements are caused by their tiny explosions, like the chugging of an automobile, except that we can't hear them, and in this way they burn up the largest part of the food fuel which we eat mostly in the form of sugar, when they have burned up their surplus food fuel, they call for more, and when this demand has been telegraphed to the brain, we say we are hungry, and that exercise has given us an appetite, while the muscles are at work, they demand that large supplies of fresh fuel shall be brought to them through the blood vessels, and this makes the heart beat harder and faster, and improves the circulation, as they burn up this fuel, they form smoke and ashes, or waste materials, which must be got rid of the fluid part by perspiration from the surface of the skin, and through the kidneys, and the gas, or smoke, through the lungs, this is the reason why, during exercise, we breathe faster and deeper than at other times, and why our skin begins first to glow and then to perspire, if these waste materials form in the muscles faster than the blood can wash them out, they poison the muscle cells and we begin to feel tired, or fatigued, this is why our muscle cells are often so stiff and sore next morning after a long tramp, or a hard day's work, or a football game, a hot bath or a good rub down takes the soreness out of the muscles by helping them to get these poisonous wastes out of their cells, thus when we play or run or work, we are not only exercising our muscles and making them gain strength and skill, but we are stirring up, or stimulating, almost every part of our body to more vigorous and healthful action. Indeed, as our muscles alone, of all our body stuffs, are under the control of the will, our only means of deliberately improving our appetites, or strengthening our hearts or circulation, 
or invigorating our lungs, or causing a large part of our brains and minds to grow and develop, is through muscular exercise. This is why nature has taken care to make us all so exceedingly fond of play, games, and sports of all sorts, in the open air, when we are young, and, as we grow older, to enjoy working hard and fighting and hustling, as we say, and that is the reason, also, why we are now making muscular exercise such an important part of education. Footnotes, the muscle does not get any bigger when it contracts, as was at one time supposed, if you were to plunge it into a bath of water, and then cause it to contract, you would find that it did not raise the level of the water, showing that it was of exactly the same size as before, having lost as much in length as it gained in thickness, in the leg below the knee, and in the forearm, we have two groups of benders or flexors, and straighteners or extensors, as in the upper arm and leg, only slenderer and more numerous, they taper down into cord-like tendons at the wrist and ankle to fasten and to pull the hands and feet open and shut just as do the strings in the legs and arms of a puppet or mechanical doll, or the sinews in the foot of a chicken. Chapter XIX The stiffening rods of the body machine What bones are? The bones are not the solid foundation and framework upon which the body is built, as they are usually described. They are simply a framework of rods and plates which, petrified, or turned into spongy limestone after the body was built, to make it firmer and stiffen it for movement. All the animals below the fishes, such as worms, Sea anemones, oysters, clams, and insects, get along very well without any bones at all, and when we are born, our bones, which haven't fully set yet, are still gristly and soft. The cores of the limbs, as they begin to stiffen, first turn into gristle, or cartilage, and later into bone, indeed, many of our bones remain gristle in parts until we are 15 or 16 years of age. This is why children's bones being softer and more flexible than those of grown-up people, are not so liable to break or snap across when they fall or tumble about, and why, too, they are more easily warped or bent out of shape through lack of proper muscular exercise and proper food. Bones are strips of soft body stuff soaked with lime and hardened, like bricklayer's mortar, or concrete. When you know the shape of the body, you know the bones, for they simply form a shell over the head and run like cores, or pifs down the center of the back, and down each joint of the limbs, in turning into spongy limestone, or animal concrete, they have become one of the deadest tissues in the body, they are tools of the muscles, the levers by which the muscles move the limbs and body about, they never do anything of their own accord, on account of their lifelessness and lack of vitality, they are rather easily attacked by disease, or broken by a blow or fall, there are such a large number of bones 206, all told, and they resist decay and last so much longer after death than any other parts of the body, that they fill our museums and textbooks of anatomy, for most of our fossils, and have thus given us rather an exaggerated idea of their importance during life. The framework of the body. Just look at any part of the body and imagine that it has a bony core of about the same general shape as itself, and you can reason out all the bones of the skeleton. To begin at the top, the skull is a box of strong, plate-like bones, which have hardened to protect the brain as it grew, and the shape of its upper, or brain, part is exactly that of the head, as you can easily feel by laying your hands upon it, then come bony shells, or sockets, for the eyes and nose, and, below these, two heavy half circles of bone, like the jaws of a steel trap, to carry the teeth, 
be thickness of the lower jaw and the size and squareness of the angle where it bends upward to be hinged to the skull. Below the ear, are what give the appearance of squareness and determination to the faces of strong, vigorous men or women. If we want to imply that a person has a feeble will, or weak character, we say he has a weak jaw. The skull rests upon the top of the backbone, or spinal column, which, instead of being one long solid bone, is made up of a number of pieces, or sections, known as vertebrae. Each one of these vertebrae has a ring, or arch, upon its back. These, running one after the other, form a jointed, bony tube to protect the spinal cord, or main nerve cable of the body, which runs through it. Illustration, the spinal column, vertebra, cartilage protecting spinal cord, point of articulation on the right side. Although the backbone can bend forward or backward, or twist from side to side a little, by the little pieces of bone of which it is built up gliding and turning upon one another, it is really very stiff and rigid, so as to protect the spinal cord and prevent its being stretched or pinched. Most of the movements which we call bending the spine are really movements of other joints which connect the body or head with it. When we bend our necks, for instance, we hardly bend the backbone at all, as most of the movement is made in the joint at the top of it, between it and the skull. Similarly, when we bend our backs, we really bend our backbones very little, for most of the movement comes at the hip joints, between the thighs and the hip bones. Each of the limbs has a single, long, rounded bone in the upper part, known in the arm as the humerus, and two bones in the lower part. These last are known as the radius and ulna, the funny bone in the forearm, and the tibia and fibula in the leg. The shoulder joint is made by the rounded head of the humerus fitting into the shallow cup of the scapula or shoulder blade, it is shallower than the hip joint to allow it freer movement, but this makes it weaker and much more easily dislocated, or put out of joint, the most so, in fact, of any joint in the body, the hip joints are deep, strong, cup-shaped sockets upon each side of the hip bones, or pelvis, into which fit the heads of the femurs or thigh bones, when the hip joint does become dislocated, it is very hard to put back again, on account of its depth and the heavy muscles surrounding it, it is quite subject to the attack of tuberculosis, or hip joint disease. The joints, or points at which the bones join one another, look rather complicated, but they are really as simple as the bones themselves. Each joint has practically made itself by the two bones rubbing against each other, until finally their ends became molded to each other, and formed the ball and socket, or the hinge, according to whichever the movements of the bent required. The ends, or heads, of the bones which form a joint are covered with a smooth, shining coating of cartilage, or gristle, so that they glide easily over each other. Around each joint has grown up a strong sheath of tough, fibrous tissue to hold the bones together, and, inside this, between the heads of the bones, is a very delicate little bag, or pouch, containing a few drops of smooth, slippery fluid synovial fluid to lubricate the movements of the joint. This is sometimes called the joint oil, though it is not really oil. Bones are covered with a tough skin, or membrane periosteum. They are hardest and most solid on their surfaces, and hollow, or spongy, inside. The long bones of the limbs are hollow, and the cavity is filled with a delicate fat called marrow just as an elderberry stem or willow twig is filled with tiff. This tubular shape makes them as strong as if they were solid, and much lighter. The short, square, and flattened bones of the body such as those of the wrist, the skull, and the hips, 
instead of being hollow inside are spongy, and the spaces in the bone sponge are filled with a soft tissue called the red marrow in which new red and white corpuscles for the blood are born, to take the place of those which die and go to pieces. Footnotes, you can easily prove that a bone is made up of living tissue soaked and stiffened with lime, by putting it into a jar filled with weak acid. This will gradually dissolve and melt out the lime salts, and then you will find that the bone has lost three-fourths of its weight and that what remains of it is so soft and flexible that it can be bent, or even tied into a knot. The hollow spaces in the bones of birds, however, are filled with air, which makes them lighter for flying. Chapter XX Our Telephone Exchange and Its Cables The Brain We are exceedingly proud of our brain and inclined to regard it as the most important part of our body. So an island in a sense, for it is the part which, through its connecting wires, called the nerves, ties together all the widely separated organs and regions in our body, and helps them to work in harmony with one another. We speak of it as the master and controller of the body, but this is only partially true. The brain is not so much the president of our cell republic as a great central telephone exchange, where messages from all over the body are received, sifted, and transmitted in more or less modified form, to other parts of the body. Three-fourths of the work of the brain consists in acting as middleman, or transmitter, of messages from one part of the body to another. In fact, the brain is far more the servant of the body than its ruler, and depends for its food supply, its protection, its health and its very life, upon the rest of the body, the best way to keep the brain clear and vigorous is to keep the muscles of the stomach, the liver, the heart, and the entire body in good health, what the brain does, the brain is the very wonderful organ with which we do what we are pleased to call our thinking, and also a number of other more important things of which we are not conscious at all, it is a large organ, weighing nearly three pounds when full grown, In shape it is like an oval loaf of bread split lengthwise by a great groove down the center, and with a curiously wrinkled or folded surface. The two halves of the brain, called hemispheres though more nearly the shape of a coffee bean, are alike, and each one, by some curious twist, or freak, of nature, receives messages from, and controls, the opposite half of the body the right half controlling the left side of the body, while the left half controls the right side of the body. Thus an injury or a hemorrhage on the left side of the brain will produce paralysis of the right side, which is the side on which a stroke of paralysis most commonly occurs. All the nerve fibers in each half or hemisphere of the upper brain run downward and inward like the sticks of a fan, to meet in a strap-like band, or stalk, which connects it with the base of the brain and the spinal cord. A very small amount of damage at the central part, or base, of the brain will produce a very large amount of paralysis. We may have large pieces of the bones of the skull driven into the outer surface of the brain, or considerable masses of our upper brain removed, or destroyed by tumors or disease, without very serious injury, but any disease or injury which falls upon the base of the brain, where these stalks run and big nerve knots ganglia lie, will cause very serious damage, and often death. The whole upper brain is a department of superintendence, which has grown up from the lower brain to receive messages compare them with each other, and with the records of previous messages which it has stored up, thus giving us the powers which we call memory, judgment, and thought, unfortunately, however, long and carefully as we have studied the brain, we really know little about the way in which it carries out these most important processes of memory, of judgment, and of thought, or even of the particular parts of it in which each of these is carried out, no part of the brain, for instance, 
seems to be specially devoted to, or concerned in memory or reason or imagination, still less to any of the emotions, such as anger, joy, jealousy or fear, so all those systems which pretend to tell anything about our mental powers and our dispositions by feeling the shapes of our heads, or the bumps on them, are pure nonsense. The most important and highest part of the brain is its surface, a thin layer of gray nerve stuff, often spoken of as the gray matter the cortex, or bark, which is thrown into curious folds, or wrinkles, called convolutions. This gray matter is found in the parts of the nervous system where the most important and delicate work is done. The rest of the nervous system is made up of what is called white matter, from its lighter color, and this is chiefly mere bundles of telephone wires carrying messages from one piece of gray matter to another, or to the muscles. We also know that a certain rather small strip of the upper brain surface, or cortex, about the size of two fingers, running upward and backward from just above the ear, controls the movements of the different parts of the body, one little patch of it for the hand, another for the wrist, another for the arm, another for the shoulder, another for the foot, and so on. We can even pick out the little patch which controls so small a part of the body as the thumb or the eyelids. So when we have a tumor of the brain or an injury to the skull in this region, we can tell, by noticing what groups of muscles are paralyzed, almost exactly where that injury or tumor is, then we can drill a hole in the skull directly over it and remove the tumor, lift up the splinter of bone, or tie the ruptured blood vessel, three other patches, or areas, running along the side of the brain, each of them about two inches across, are known to be the centers for smell, hearing, and sight, that for sight lying furthest back, damage to one of these areas will make the individual more or less completely blind, or deaf, or deprived of the sense of smell, as the case may be, that the lower part of the area which controls the muscles of the different parts of the body, above and a little in front of the tip of the ear, lies a very important center, which controls the movements of the tongue and lips, and is known as the speech center, if this should be injured or destroyed, the power of speech is entirely lost, this, curiously enough, lies upon the left side of the brain, and is the only one-sided center in the body, why this is so is somewhat puzzling, except that as speech is made up both of sound and of gesture, and our gestures are usually made with the right hand, it is not unreasonable to suppose that the speech center is,